Spotlighting and encouraging promise Jesus gave to his followers, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. In this world, you'll never face another tribulation. No, he didn't say that. He said, in this world, you're going to face a lot of tribulation, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. And so in the Lord's day, you need to be in the Spirit, drawing strength from the Spirit. You can worship on the Lord's day. You can worship on Saturday. You can worship any day of the week. Just worship the Lord. Draw near to Him. Grow in your understanding of His faithfulness. This is amazing grace. It's critical to have times of rest and worship. But does that mean we're to keep the Sabbath law? What does the Bible say? We'll find out today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Last time we began to consider what the Bible says about the Sabbath. Here now to conclude that teaching, beginning with how this issue can be troubling to some, is Pastor Ed. Here you are just kind of tooting along with the Lord, enjoying yourself, and then somebody throws a curveball at you and you get real troubled. You don't need to be troubled. And you also don't need to know everything. You're going to learn. Week after week, month after month, you're going to learn. Now, don't be, don't be troubled by about what I'm about to share with you. But I just think you need to know, I don't know everything either. <laughs> and I dedicate my life. My life is dedicated to studying this book. And there's so much I want to grow in. There's so much I want to know and learn. And a few questions get thrown my way that I'm troubled over too, and I'm learning and growing. But I've learned that the Word of God is sure and steadfast. And so I commend you, church, for enduring sound doctrine. I mean, anytime we open the Bible, it's sound doctrine. Anytime we open the Bible, you're encouraged to test the Word that comes forth from the pulpit here, to examine the Word that comes from the pulpit here. But when we're answering questions like this, There's a lot of training going on, a lot of things that you'll be able to learn and grow and see that the Bible is clear. Because let's say for something like the Sabbath, as you're going through and you've got these biblical answers for them, you might hear something like this. You might say, wait a minute, the reason why the church worships on Sunday is because the Roman Catholic Church changed the day of worship from Saturday to Sunday in the 4th century. And then you go, whoa. And I'm having a enough, hard enough time understanding the word, let alone keeping up with all that kind of stuff. And it troubles you. Let me tell you that what happened in the Council of Laodicea, Constantine did a lot of things that damaged the church. And that's just the way it is with church history, unfortunately. Just like if your life was church history, you'd look back and go, oh, man, I wish I could erase that little chapter of that life. You know, I could have done things better. Well, our church history, church history in general, is not, is not perfect. And Constantine did a lot of things, but at the church council of Laodicea, one thing he did not do was change the Sabbath to Sunday. You know what he did? He went through and he placed an edict that was very anti-Semitic, very against the Jews, and he forbid Saturday worship. But you know, by the time the fourth century came along, thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of believers were already worshiping on Sunday. 
there was no major substantive change. Because we have this guy out on the island of Patmos, right? Like you might be. Because that's the other thing you're learning through Bible study is that God is sufficient to meet your needs. Because out on this island of Patmos, we find in chapter 1, verse 10, John, well, he says, I was in the Spirit on, what does your Bible say? The Lord's day. And I heard behind me a a loud voice and of a trumpet. You know, if he was never out on the island of Patmos, we wouldn't have had revelation. But see, when the Lord's day came along, he was in the Spirit. He was seeking the Lord. When you're on that island in life, you need to be in the Spirit, drawing near to God. I know. I wish I had a chapter in my Bible in the back. I really do. I wish as I'm serving and ministering among you, I wish I could go to the chapter that answers every why question that comes up in your life. God, why this? Why now? Why me? I wish I could just go and say, well, I know that's on page 462. Here's the answer to your why. Here. But I can't, can I? I've actually never done that. Because there is no such section. A lot of the why questions in life won't be answered until you see Jesus face to face. That's the danger of having your ears tickled because there's a sense in our lives where we go, you know, Ed, will you just tell me things are going to be okay? Yeah, I'll tell you that. Things are going to be okay. But maybe not the way you think. Maybe things are going to be okay when you get through the trial. Wait, 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 wait a minute. You're okay, my okay, they don't match up. Because my okay is to get me out of the trial right now. Maybe God will. I've seen God deliver people from trials all the time. I've seen God deliver me from a few. Right out, boom, pluck me right out. But you know what I see more? God delivering us through the trial. They go, wait a minute, what do you mean I'm going to be okay? Through the trial, that doesn't make sense. No, it does make pure spiritual biblical sense that what's going on in your life right now is testing you and trying you to build your faith. You raise up somebody, oh, things are going to be okay, you're going to be fine, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, the rest of you. No, 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 that's not the truth. Because you know what? That kind of doctrine, it's pretty popular today, goes right in the face of what Jesus said. You know what Jesus said? In this world, you'll never face another tribulation. No, he didn't say that. He said, in this world, you're going to face a lot of tribulations. But be of good cheer, because I've overcome the world. And so there you are on the island of Patmos, and in the Lord's day, you need to be in the Spirit, drawing strength from the Spirit. You can worship on the Lord's Day. You can worship on Saturday. You can worship any day of the week. Just worship the Lord. Draw near to him. Grow in your understanding of his faithfulness. I mean, I could go on and on. The early church writings, the early church writings related to the Sabbath, the epistle of Barnabas in about 100 AD, the epistle of Ignatius at 107, the writings of Justin Martyr, 140 to 150, the apostolic constitutions, life, church life in the second century, Irenaeus, Pliny, Clement of Alexander, Tertullian. I could go on and on with that list. They all declare that the believers were worshiping on Sunday, that there was no change from a church council. I mean, really, if we want to begin to speak about church councils, let's do that. Go back to Acts chapter 15, the very first church council of the disciples. Because in Acts chapter 15, we find this difficulty, the difficulty that was going on in the early church of trying to combine Jews and Gentiles together in church worship. And in Acts chapter 15, the leaders come together, they all have their say, and a letter is written, and it begins right there in verse 22. It says, It pleased the apostles and the elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch, 
with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. And they wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, the brethren, to the brethren who were of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some of you went out from us, have troubled you with words unsettling your souls. Pause there for a second, because that's why we study the Bible. Unfortunately, they're just going to be people you meet in life with their words unsettle your souls. And the only way a soul can be unsettled is to abandon the truth of God's word. And so here, even in the first century, there were people going out saying they came from the church, they came from the apostles, they came from the disciples, and look what they said. They said, you must be circumcised and keep the law. Now that would trouble me. I agree. But you can take out circumcised and you can include anything. You must be water baptized and keep the law. You must worship on the Sabbath. You must. Listen, the must of the New Testament is you must repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other way into salvation than through Jesus. And if you want to hang your hat on a must, okay, go for it. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be born again. You must surrender your life to him. You must turn from your sin and turn to God. Yes, yes, yes. And that by faith in Jesus, your sins will be forgiven and your life will be made right. It'll be made new. You must surrender. But when someone comes to you and say, you must be circumcised and keep the law, notice it says, we gave them no such commandment. That's not coming from us. He says in verse 25, it seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you, with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who have also report the same things by word of mouth, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. They're not laying a law down. They're laying very strong suggestions and necessary things to help the unity of the Spirit between the Gentiles and the Jews. So what does he listen? He lists, he lists, number one, Verse 29, abstain from things offered to idols. That makes sense in light of us studying Romans 14. Hey, you can avoid this issue altogether. Just don't eat that stuff that's offered to idols. And stay away from blood, because that would be a great offense to your Jewish brothers. And stay away from things that are strangled, because that wasn't the, the Levitical way of taking care of an animal in order to eat them. And then the final one is stay away from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. I mean, if anywhere Sabbath-keeping could have been mentioned, it should have been mentioned right here. Oh, and by the way, keep the Sabbath. But they don't, because they don't see it as necessary. And so with those that wrestle with such things, you want to take them back to the Word. You want to come back to, before any of the church councils and church history, we have history for us in the Word. And not even the first council in Acts 15 made this a necessary issue. I don't know why believers do. So we ask, is the Sabbath taught... Sabbath keeping taught anywhere in the New Testament? I mean, of the Ten Commandments, are they all repeated multiple times in the New Testament? Well, the answer to that is yes, nine of them are mentioned in the New Testament. For instance, when the command to worship the Lord your God only, that's mentioned 50 times in the New Testament. To stay away from idolatry, it's condemned 12 times. To watch your mouth taking the name of the Lord in vain, mentioned four times. Honoring your parents, six times. Murder, six times. Adultery, 12 times. Theft, four times. False witness, four times. Covetousness is condemned nine times. You know what's not mentioned one single time? The Sabbath. 
Not only that, the Bible lists on four occasions, you can jot them down, actual lists of sins. Four times we have lists of actual sins. This is a sin, this is a sin, this is a sin. Mark chapter 7, verse 21 and 22, 13 sins are listed. Romans chapter 1, verses 19 through 32. We looked at that when we studied Romans. Romans chapter 1, 20 sins are listed. Galatians chapter 5, we have 15 sins listed. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we have 18 sins listed. And you know what's not in any of those lists? Sabbath breaking. It's not mentioned once as a sin. You would think in any of those lists, there would be the opportunity to say, watch out for this sin, avoid this sin, don't go there. Never mentioned. And so the key questions for those that believe and want to legalistically impose Sabbath worship on believers would be questions like this. Why is it that nowhere in the New Testament is it taught that the fourth commandment must be observed? Why is it that nowhere in the New Testament is failure to keep the Sabbath day condemned as a sin? Why are the nine moral commandments of the ten repeated in the New Testament, but the one non-moral command is not repeated, not even once in the New Testament? Why isn't Sabbath breaking listed as a sin in the many lists of sins? Why is it not repeated even once in the New Testament? Why didn't Jesus command Sabbath keeping? Why didn't he teach it in the Sermon on the Mount? As a matter of fact, you know what happened with Jesus? You know what, he's, you know what he was accused of many times? Sabbath breaking. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you see how easy we can fall into this trap. How easy it would be for us. Why didn't the Jerusalem council condemn Sabbath breaking or include Sabbath keeping in their list? Why is it that every mention of the Sabbath in the book of Acts, without a single exception, is in connection to Jewish worship on that day and not referring to the Christian's celebration? Or how about this one? Why can't we just allow Romans chapter 14 verse 5 to speak for itself? That if you choose to esteem one day over another... Be fully convinced in your own mind. But be careful not to lay that trip on someone else. Christian believers are under a new covenant as promised in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. God speaks to the prophet Jeremiah and he says, I am going to make a new covenant. And then in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus says, as he takes the cup and he gives thanks, he says, drink from it, all of you, for this is the blood of the new covenant. So when we partake of communion together, which we do once a month here on the weekends and every service on Wednesday nights, we're being reminded that our relationship to God is in the new covenant. And in the new covenant, there's a tremendous freedom to obey the Lord. You know, in relationship to God, we don't have a Sabbath day. We have a Sabbath God. Would you turn over to Hebrews chapter 4? We've got a few more things to cover before we head out. Hebrews chapter 4. We have a Sabbath God who gives rest by faith in Jesus Christ. Remember, Hebrews is written to Jewish believers that were struggling with the law. They were wanting to go back to the law and relate to God through the law. And the writer to the Hebrews is saying, no, 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 you have freedom. You have rest in the Lord. Pick up in verse 3, he says, For we who have believed do enter that rest. As he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore, verse 6, it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. 
Again, he designates a certain day saying in David, today, after such a long time as it's been said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not have afterwards spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. It's beautiful. You're saved not by good works, but by faith. And once you enter in by faith in Jesus Christ, you have rest. But notice the warning, verse 11. Let us, therefore, be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall after the same example of disobedience. The application? Well, the application is very clear. And that's to be careful in your Christian walk of those that may want to trouble your souls. Be careful to have a biblical worldview and understanding of life, not just the opinions of man. Every Bible study that you hear or watch, take it and test it by the word of God. Test it by the character of the person delivering it. Test it by its substance in the settled, firm foundation of God's word. Let me show you as we close Colossians chapter 2. Here's the application. The application is clear. Colossians chapter 2. You got, you got Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So if you're in that section, you're very close. Colossians chapter 2. We're going to pick up in verse 16. Colossians 2 verse 16. He says, Therefore, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival, which is a yearly Sabbath, or a new moon, which refer to monthly Sabbaths. You can read all these in Leviticus. Or Sabbaths, which would be the weekly Sabbath. He says, don't let anyone judge you. Why? Because he says, they are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Now turn real quickly to the left, Galatians chapter 4. These old things are not the true substance. There are shadows. And whenever you have a choice to either choose the shadow or the substance, choose substance, okay? Okay. These are all shadows. Paul now will call them to the church in Galatia. The church in Colossae were really close to going back, but the churches in Galatians went all the way back. And you'll notice, they went all the way back. They were freed by the freedom that's in, by faith in Jesus Christ. But now in Galatians 4, they go back, verse 9, and they've been trapped by a legalistic attitude toward God. He says, but now after you've known God, Galatians 4, 9, or rather known by God, those are relationship terms. Now that you have a relationship with God, through his son Jesus Christ, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements? That's what he called shadows in Colossians. Why are you going back to those weak, beggarly things to which you desire to be in bondage again? You turn back to the law, you'll be in bondage. Notice what they were doing. They were observing. It's not like they were about to. They were observing days, which corresponds to the weekly Sabbath. They were observing months, which corresponds to the new moons mentioned in Colossians. They were observing seasons, which would refer to the festivals. They were also observing years, it says, which would be the sabbatical year or the year of Jubilee. He says, I'm afraid for you. And anytime I hear of someone falling into legalism, I'm afraid as well. Lest I've labored for you in vain. That you want to walk humbly with your God. Paul is speaking clearly here of the observances of the Jewish holy days. If you have a conviction to enjoy them as they shed light on Jesus Christ, great. But if you choose to go back to those weak and beggarly elements and use them as a standard for righteousness, that's not great. And it's not biblical. And there's so much more that we could cover. 
This Bible study could easily be stretched out into a long series of studies looking at every little element, but I think the summary is sufficient for us. There's so much more to cover biblically. There's so much more to cover historically, spiritually. But the legalistic view that Saturday Sabbath worship is the only type of worship God receives and honors is simply not true. That you as a Christian have freedom to worship God on any day of the week. Why is there such an emphasis on Sunday? Because it commemorates and memorializes the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the first day of the week. So let's end in Romans 14, verse 5, just by way of closing it up here. If there was ever a place where Paul could have instituted the absolute of Sabbath worship, it would have been right here in this verse, but he doesn't do it. He says, one person esteems one day above another, and another esteems every day alike, Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. And instead of establishing some specific on Sabbath day worship, he commends us to worship on the day that we like to, unto the Lord, any time. And so the question is, must Christians only worship on the Sabbath? And the answer is, amen. Thanks for joining us today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. It's part of our series in Romans. You'll find us on the web at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Let me highlight some of the features. Look for our quick links and you'll discover you can listen to our programs anytime you'd like. We also offer a free podcast too. And you can read Pastor Ed's blog there as well. Pastor Ed, before we let you go, here's a question for you. While the Sabbath law is not required for the New Testament believer, is the principle of taking a day off required or just a good idea? I like the way that you phrase that question um, because this has become uh, such a hot-button topic, uh, so much so that there's this sense that if you worship, there's some groups that say if you're worshiping on the sun on Sunday, then you're not keeping the Sabbath as God intended, and and then you'll have people ask, uh, when did God change the Sabbath? Never, He never changed the Sabbath. The Sabbath is always Saturday. It's always sundown uh, Friday to sundown Saturday. Never been changed. However, you asked the question in the right way, Larry, when you said uh, it's not required. The old covenant Sabbath is not a new covenant requirement. That's true. But God created the rhythm. You could call it the Sabbath rhythm, where the pattern has always been six and then one off. Six and then one off. And it's absolutely essential that we follow the rhythm and the pattern that God set forth to rest. To give ourselves rest, to give our companies rest, to give our minds rest. Of course, here in the U.S., we have a pattern of five and two, um, but the pattern that God set forth, which is even better, isn't it? Uh, The pattern that God set forth is six and one. And so, yes, it is a great idea, and I would even use the word required. It is required that you follow the pattern of God and rest and take some time to be encouraged and to be strengthened uh, and to be in that place of worship, of rest, of seeking the Lord. And so, yes, absolutely. Follow the pattern that God set forth and he will bless the patterns that he's given to us. That is helpful. Thanks again. 
We'd sure like to hear from you. Let us know what you think of our study in Romans and if you're finding these daily studies helpful to your walk. We'd also very much appreciate your support as we present Abounding Grace here over the radio. Again, go to AboundingGraceRadio.com. We also offer an app that makes listening to Pastor Ed's teachings really easy to do. You can download the free app by searching for Calvary Aurora. Each month, Pastor Ed picks out a book that he believes can really help you grow in grace and be the person God wants you to be. Our pick of the month is The Third Option by Miles McPherson. I don't have to remind you that we're living in a racially divided nation. You may have even heard it said Sunday morning is the most segregated time in America today. Pastor Miles shares openly what has led to this great divide, both within the church and across the country. He believes instead of choosing one of two sides, there is a third option, one that has proven to bring people together and promote genuine peace. That's the third option. And we'll gladly send you a copy for a donation of $25 or more. We ask that you call to place an order at 877-30-GRACE. That's toll-free, 877-30-GRACE. We'll return to Romans next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 